Welcome to Podcast Hackers, the show for podcasters by podcasters. Here, each episode, you'll hear from the best and brightest podcasters and learn how they're growing their audience, monetizing their shows, and making an impact through podcasting. And now, your host, Craig Hewitt. All right, welcome back to another episode of Podcast Hackers. Today, I have on Joe Casabona. Joe, how you doing? I'm doing great, Craig. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. My pleasure. Yeah, the theme today is going to be all about kind of using your podcast to sell online courses. But Joe, for folks who kind of don't know who you are and what you do, do you want to give a bit of background on yourself? Yeah. So my name is Joe Casabona. I am a podcaster, educator, and developer. And that is in reverse order of when I started doing those things. So these days, I focus mostly on creating and selling my online courses and memberships, as well as a podcast that I host called How I Built It. Gotcha. We won't go into the funny story of the naming of your podcast, which I think it's uh, it's probably a blessing and a curse. Yeah. So I, I know kind of, Joe, that like you mentioned, you kind of got into development first and then doing courses around like development and WordPress and things like that. And then kind of most recently started selling courses around that. I think the idea of, you know, selling membership sites or, you know, spots and membership sites or selling courses is one of these like entrepreneurial, you know, make money online dreams that a lot of people have. So I guess first we'll dispel some of those myths and talk about like the hard parts of that before we get into kind of like how you're, how or why you're, you know, kind of doing a podcast to help that. I'd love to kind of talk about some of the, the challenging parts of like, membership sites and courses that you've experienced in the last year or so? Yeah, for sure. So I, I think you're right. A lot of people think, oh, I'll just set up a membership site and I'll, you know, I'll email my list of several hundred people and most of them will sign up because I offer good value. But, uh, you know, either with courses or memberships, there's a lot of legwork that needs to go into promoting that stuff, right? I think it's very analogous to, I don't know about you, but a lot of people around my age or slightly younger would, would say things like, I'm just going to get into teaching because you it, you have summers off and you only work until 3 p.m. It's so easy. And I think that people picture selling online courses the same way. I'm going to make this online course once and I'll just let it run and it'll make money while I forget about it. But in order for somebody to buy any informational product from you, they need to know, like, and trust you. So you can't just like release a course or a membership into the world and expect people to want to pay for it. You need to answer this very important question, which is what problem are you solving for me? And how can I trust that you're actually going to solve that problem for me? So in creating online courses and memberships, that's the first thing that you should do. What problem do you want to help people solve? What language are they using to describe their problem? And then say, use that language and say, okay, I understand you're having this problem. Here is the solution to that problem. Here is how I will help you overcome that problem that you're having. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of work has been done, kind of advancements have been made in the making the course and where to host it and all this stuff easier. You know, there's tons of tools around this. I'm sure you have experience with a lot of them. But but I, I do think that when those things get easier, then the competition and the thing that sets you apart from the other people talking about, you know, WordPress or podcasting or whatever – gets more intense. And, and maybe that's the point where you differentiate yourself from kind of everyone else that's that's now able to do it because the, the technology hurdle is is relatively minimal, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you want to start an online course today, you don't really need to do anything except sign up for like a teachable account, right? Like that's all 
you would need to do lowest barrier of entry, go sign up for Teachable. So all of the legwork should go into the research before the course, how you're going to structure the course, right? I think another thing that people think they can just do is like, just like talk about what they know and they leave out the instructional design part where it's like, how do I, Hmm. how does this lesson fit in with the overall plan I have to solve this person's problem? How, and what specific problem is this single lesson solving, right? So um, Troy Dean talks about this, right? He looks at a, a, a whole course and he says, how do I get my student from zero to win in this course? And then he breaks up the course into modules, like most courses, and he looks at each module and says, how do I get the student from zero to win in this specific module? So I know that's like very high level. If you want a concrete example, I can definitely give you that. Yeah, I, I think that would be helpful. Yeah, like if you could break down kind of like a big topic into modules and then modules into lessons or whatever. Yeah, so a good example, one that's very top of mind for me right now because I'm getting ready to launch a new course called Podcast Liftoff is the problem I'm solving is actually launching your podcast, right? And the language that people use for me when I ask them what's their biggest problem is actually pressing record or actually launching it right? or, or, or actually finding the time, right? And so I used to think that the technology portion of it was the problem. That was a mismatch, right? So talking to my audience helped me with that. So getting my students from zero to win in the entire course is how do I, let's say, get I'm going to get my students to put their podcast on Apple Podcasts, right? So the world can listen to their podcast. And then I break that course up into different modules, right? So one module is recording your episode. So in that specific module, the zero to win is actually pressing the record button and talking into the microphone and having a raw episode at the end of it. And so I teach them how to do that. But then as a as a bonus that I haven't really made public yet, one of the things I'm going to do is for people who enroll in this first round of the course is... I will listen to their episode zero and I'll critique it and I'll I'll tell them here's how you can improve or more importantly, yes, put this out there. And that hopefully that'll give them the confidence to get from that zero to win and actually publish that show. Yeah, I like it. I like it. I mean, I think that this kind of architecture around a course or kind of any kind of educational material that you're putting out there is really important because like like you said, it's easy just to you know flip on the the camera on your computer or do a screencast and record something. But if you're not thinking through like how to get somebody from A to Z or from zero to win, as you said, that people are kind of missing something there in, in terms of creating like actually useful course content. And then the value the value there right is if you're just putting out videos that are kind of mishmash, like YouTube is there for that. You want to provide more value than YouTube. And the way you do that is by creating a journey, a learner's journey for your student, instead of just making them like try to search for videos on your site or whatever. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. So kind of getting into to podcasting, I think the really interesting thing is like, you know, podcasting is a content marketing medium. It's a really powerful one, just like blogging or YouTubing or whatever, or social media but can and should be used differently depending on uh, what people are are trying to kind of accomplish with it. And specifically for selling educational material courses or membership sites, would love to hear kind of how you think about on a meta level, like why you have a podcast, who it serves, and and kind of like what types of content you create there to help kind of bridge that like why you have a podcast and who you're trying to serve. Yeah. That was like four questions in one, but I'll help you through it if you need. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, I mean, so first of all, the beautiful thing about having a podcast, this is something that 
you hear all the time is that people feel like they know the podcast host, right? So by having a podcast right off the bat, you are creating this trust that you might have a hard time creating otherwise, like if you just have a series of blog posts or whatever, right? Because you are in someone's ear for 20 minutes or 30 minutes or an hour or like a podcast I listened to this morning was two hours and I listened to the whole thing because I loved it. But you're in someone's ear for that amount of time. It's like a more intimate setting. So you're forming that trust very quickly. And then as far as how you use that trust, right? You want to give your listeners quick wins. This is something that Pat Flynn talks about. People worry about giving giving everything away for free, but those quick wins help people know, like, and trust you even more. So the platform gives you a leg up on that already. And so in my case... The scope of both my podcast and my courses have changed a little bit, right? I, I I did launch the podcast originally to help sell courses. And what I thought it would be was I'll interview a founder of a product and then I'll cross promote the courses or the videos I have on my membership site at the end of that episode. So like, oh, you, you know, you just heard from Craig Hewitt, the founder of Castos. If you want to learn how to use Castos, head over to creativecourses.com and sign up for a membership. But things have evolved a little bit over time. And as we, well, so I don't I don't know when this is going to come out, but as we record this, it is not 2020 yet. My content plan for the podcast with 2020 is to kind of get back to that, right? It's it's over the last two years, it's been a lot of interviews, giving people business advice. Most of my listeners are freelancers and small business owners. And so now I want to be intentional with the kind of content and the way I lay it out, almost like an online course. So in January, right, I'm going to be promoting Podcast Liftoff. And so I'm going to talk about how small business owners can use content to get more business and specifically how they can use a podcast to advance their career. Then I'm going to have an episode that's just me talking to them about how they can launch their podcast. And I'll be super transparent about it, right? At the beginning, I'll say, I just launched this course. Let's go over some of the high-level stuff from this course, some of the things you can do without taking the course, and why you might want to take the course. And so I have several podcast episodes that are kind of priming people to think about, should I launch a podcast? And then I'll say, if you're thinking about it, here is a resource that will launch your podcast in three days or four days or however long it takes you to take the course. And who do you think is like the the target audience for your show? Again, this is something I just recently maybe learned or had to pivot on. I totally assumed that developers were mostly the people listening to my podcast. And then I kind of looked at how other development-focused podcasts were doing, and uh, there was a mismatch with my numbers and their numbers. And I realized that I was talking to a, a bigger audience that is, again, mostly small business owners and freelancers. And the way I kind of figured that out was I did survey my listeners. So whoever answered that gave me some good data. But in iTunes, before macOS Catalina came out, you'd have iTunes. And at the bottom of your podcast, there's a section called people also subscribe to. Right. I think now it's like now I think now it's called related podcasts, but they're the same for me. So I'm guessing that's what they're showing you. And I noticed that every single one that people also subscribe to were small business podcasts or just general business podcasts. So like a show with a very similar name as mine was number one there. The Startup by Gimlet Media, Seth Godin's podcast. Lots of podcasts giving people business advice. So now I'm very confident that most of my listeners are small business owners and freelancers. I ask because this is a question that I think a lot of people, when you ask them the first time, 
feel like they know the answer to. And then you you ask them another question or they, they start explaining why. And maybe like you, you said, like they go through this exercise and they say, wow, that like the person I thought I was podcasting for wasn't actually the, the person that was listening or maybe more importantly, like the people getting the most value out of my podcast. And I think it definitely changes over time, right? Yeah, absolutely. It changes over time. It changes with your content. Maybe it was true in the beginning that I was talking to mostly developers because I launched to the community that I was most known in at the time, which was WordPress developers. I had a relatively popular book about WordPress development. I focused a lot on development. But over the last two years, I've kind of, two or three years, I guess, I've kind of pivoted because now I'm a small business owner. I'm learning a lot of lessons from other small business owners that are coming on my show, and I'm focusing my content really on that. So I've not only moved away from just WordPress people, but I've moved away from just WordPress developers. And mm. my audience has kind of changed and, and has grown with that pivot. So that's an interesting point, because I think a lot of people worry about alienating their their original fans or subscribers if they decide, okay, I'm not going to focus just in this direction, but I'm going to you know broaden it to include you know stage A and now stage B and C or group B and C that they're going to kind of alienate the the people that originally listened to their show. But it sounds like when you did this, you were able to kind of maintain that listener base and, and kind of grow it overall. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if we look at, I, I keep bringing up Pat Flynn, but I've recently consumed a ton of his content. But he released a book called Superfans. It's a really easy read, but there's a lot of good advice in there. And he, and he kind of gets to the root of this, right? You grow your podcast audience because people continue to know you and like you and trust you. And as long as you deliver those quick wins or value, they're going to stick with you. And it's because I didn't pivot, like I didn't move from like WordPress development to like baking, right? I would have completely alienated yeah. <laughs> my whole audience. Well, not my whole audience, but a, a large amount of it. But I, I pivoted from maybe the solo WordPress developer, the person who's doing side projects to the developer who also is is kind of running his or her own business and is not sure what to do to now somebody who's not just a developer, but is still definitely running their own business. So making that change over time, I'm still delivering value to the people who got on early with the show. And, and now I'm appealing to, to more people that are not specifically WordPress developers. Mm. And kind of tying the, the, the podcast content to actually selling courses, kind of getting back to the, the main theme of the, of the podcast. I think bridging this gap is maybe the most challenging part of podcasting is to say like, okay, I have this podcast, I have all these listeners, but you know, if your podcast is for your business, the end goal is to sell more of your thing. Mm -hmm. what is kind of that journey been like for you to say like, okay, I have all these listeners. That's great. I'm glad the podcast is, you know, quote successful in this respect, but I gotta, you know, I gotta pay rent and I pay rent by selling this course. What, what's kind of that journey been like for you of, of like how you started bridging that gap and, and maybe kind of like things you've learned along the way? Yeah. So I'll start off by saying this, being intentional is an art form and it's also extremely important, right? So Maybe about a year ago, a mastermind group I'm in, they posed the question to me, like, what are you doing with that audience you have? Because, again, apparently my podcast gets more downloads than most podcasts do. Craig, you and I might have talked about it on another show you have or another episode. But it's my biggest audience by far, and I wasn't really doing anything to take advantage of that fact. Not take advantage in a bad way, just like these people are clearly interested in the stories that I'm helping tell, and they continue to come back every week. So 
one of the things that I've just, I've settled on on is being more intentional. My podcast is sponsored, and so it is generating some income for me. But as you said, the main way that I would like to make money is through my memberships and my courses. And so it's about designing the content in that way. And I should also say that like getting people to act when they listen to a podcast can be difficult, right? Because they're listening to it while they're driving or on a subway train. And, you know, maybe they've downloaded it and they don't have an internet connection. So now they have to remember to act later if they want to. And so that repetition is really important. Talking about the problems that you're solving is really important. And so designing your content around that, right? You're not just, I mean, unless you're like specific people who have a gigantic, gigantic audience you're probably not going to launch one podcast episode saying buy my course and people are going to buy it. Right. So especially uh, in 2020, I'm focusing like the full year or the whole next season on how can I give freelancers quick wins and small business owners? And then how can I convince them that investing in a membership through my courses and the community I'm building how can I convince them that this is the right move for them? And again, I'll do that by giving some of the content away for free. I'll do that by interviewing my own students and former students and interviewing other business owners who talk about the importance of building your mailing list or starting a podcast or how you can build a website without knowing any code because that's what a lot of my courses are focused on. And again, just giving a, giving away the right content and then convincing them that, hey, there is a lot of value here is the approach that I'm taking, especially in 2020. Like talking about being intentional and, and kind of reframing a lot of your approach to kind of who you're trying to serve and what your business objectives are and stuff. It sounds like your your whole kind of approach to this has evolved a lot. Like leading up to, you know, we're at you know middle of November now, leading up to the new year. What do you feel like has been the most difficult thing about kind of specifically like podcasting and using your podcast as a tool to help you sell, you know, courses and membership sites in the last year? Yeah, I think that the the intentionality is so far the the most difficult part because hmm. honestly, up until a few months ago, I would just interview, not just interview, I would make a list of people I want to interview and I would reach out to them. But I also had a bunch of people feeding me others that would be good interviewees. So those services like Be My Guest and Interview Valet would kind of send me people that they thought would be a good fit for the show. Those people were VPs of startups that are worth millions of dollars. And it was very fun interviewing them, especially like Tim Campos, formerly of Facebook. Like it was really cool in interviewing him. But I noticed that there was a little bit of a disconnect between where he is at and where my audience is at. So again, it goes back to once you are up and running with your podcast, listening to your audience, getting feedback from them, understanding who they are. And so now that I have the knowledge I have, being intentional about the kind of information I'm putting out there, right? Like another bad way for, I think a bad thing for me to do would be, so you want to start a freelance career. Like how do you start from ground zero? How do you get your first client? Most of my audience, I would suspect, I'm very confident, I should say, about this already have their first client and they're looking for what's next for them. And so that's how I'm going to pivot a lot of my content. How do you charge more? How do you increase your network? How do you grow your mailing list? How do you pivot to a product? Maybe you're tired of doing client work, but that's the thing that pays the bills. How do you pivot to that product? Mm -hmm. Those are the topics that I think will speak to my audience the most, give them the quick wins, and then essentially tie that back into the content and the community over at my memberships and with my courses. 
I want to kind of underline something you said about the intentionality and is the the alignment between kind of what your goal is for your podcast, the the people or the content that you have on on each episode, like the people what you're talking about and where they are in this journey that you're trying to bring people across, I think is the is the secret sauce. And when you can get all three or four of those things aligned, then you can tell that like the audience resonates with this guest and this episode so well. And when any of those are broken, it's, you know, this person is way advanced <laughs> for what you're talking about and the people that listen to your show. What they're talking about doesn't have anything to do with what your show overall has to talk about or kind of the person just isn't like intangibly some way, kind of like a Mm -hmm. good fit of like what their goals maybe are of being on your show. If you get any of those out of line, I feel like there's this really weird (laughs) sense about an episode when they all are, are lined up, then it's magic. And a lot of times from my experience, it's not always clear beforehand. You don't know when you're when you're lining up a guest like, wow, this one's going to be great. You can think that a lot of times, and then it's a dud just because one of those things falls out of line, and then sometimes you're pleasantly surprised thinking like, wow, this person like seems interesting, but like I don't really know what to expect. You get them on, and it's everything, you know, the stars are aligned, and everything's wonderful. So I think like you mentioned with intentionality, as much as you can try to line up those three or four things – that's great. And when you can, I think you see a lot of success with having guests on. Yeah, absolutely. A perfect example of that is um, on my podcast, it was last year, maybe it was earlier this year, I had Peter Hollins on. Peter Hollins is a very popular YouTube personality. He does acapella music, a lot of like Disney or Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter covers. He's got millions of people following him on YouTube. And I thought, oh, he's got a huge audience. I'm going to tap into that. It'll be great. He was the that episode did not perform very well for me. And I wondered why. And I'm like, well, it's because he's not necessarily a small business owner. He is to an extent, but he's doing very well for himself. He's on YouTube. That's where his audience is. And he's doing, you know, these productions. Uh, And that's not where my audience is at. Conversely, I had Ali Nimmons on the show earlier this year. So Peter Hollins was last year. So Allie Nimmons was on the show earlier this year. She is a freelancer in Florida. We talked about her journey. We talked a little bit about um, mental health and her being a woman of color in the community. And that episode was gangbusters. Like, Because she's a real person that people really related to. And we touched on topics that, you know, touched a nerve with people. Yep, yep. Absolutely. And you don't know. You don't know beforehand. Like, yep. yeah, you thought before you get this YouTube guy on, he'll blow it out of the park. It was a dud. <laughs> and a lot of times, I, I, we find a lot of times that disconnect comes when you get someone really successful on. Mm-hmm. And and I think it's because the things they talk about are not relatable to your audience. If you're talking to an audience or talking about things at more of a kind of beginner, basic, intermediate level, you know, in the, in the business world, you get, you know, Tim Ferriss or Seth Godin on. That's cool. And those people are really interesting. But a lot of times, like they talk about stuff that I frankly have no idea what they're talking about, (laughs) you know, just because like they're 10 years ahead of me in in business. And it applies to everybody. You know, you get Beb Kaflesky on talking about running on a beginner runners podcast and people are going to be like, that's cool to hear Meb talk about running. But, you know, I run a 10 minute mile (laughs) and I can't finish a 5K. It's like, you know, not relevant at all. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And that's that's really important, right? You think the big names or I I used to think the big names will bring people in, but it's people are looking more for that actionable advice, those quick wins. Yeah. Better than 
hearing a story that, frankly, they've probably heard before, right? Like, how many times have you heard Tim Ferriss's story? Yeah. You know, he's. it's not like he's inventing new stuff for every podcast he goes on. He's got a rotation. We all have a rotation of stories, and he's doing the same thing. And not to pick on Tim Ferriss, but, like, any massively popular person is going to do this. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Neat. Joe, for folks who want to kind of learn more about you, what you're up to, check out the podcast, where is the best place to do that? The best place to do that, I've set up a page specifically for this show and and shows I do like this called uh, casabona.org slash podcasting. So we'll have kind of everywhere you can find me online and then some of my podcasting learning resources and stuff like that. Awesome. We'll include that link in the show notes for folks to kind of check out, learn more about you and, and kind of what you're up to with the podcast and the courses. Joe, this is a lot of fun. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. I had a blast. Thank you for listening to another episode of Podcast Hackers. If you liked what you heard today, please head over to iTunes and leave a rating and review. This goes a long way towards helping spread the word about the show to other podcasters just like you. Until next time, happy podcasting.